0: All right, let's take our Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Mark. Mark's Gospel in chapter number 4. And uh, in just a moment, we're going to begin reading there in verse number 35 and read down to the end of the chapter in verse number 41. And so Mark chapter number 4, and then we'll begin in a moment in verse 35. As you're finding your place there, if we were to go back this morning and read the entirety of this chapter, what we would find is uh, that in the very beginning, Jesus is giving the parable of the sower. Uh, and so as he gives the, power, the this parable of the sower and he lays out here uh, the types of soils and that some of the seed is going to fall in stony ground and some of it is going to get good ground and the four types of soils and then they're confused, they don't understand. And so he then clarifies for them. Uh, The types of soil and that Satan is going to come and try to snatch the seed away and some of it it's going to spring up, but then it's going to get trodden down and it's going to dry up and wither. it's not going to be able to take good enough root. Uh, And then there's going to be some that's going to take root. It's going to grow. It's going to flourish. It's going to produce fruit. And so certainly we want to be Christians that are producing fruit. uh, And so and we want that to be our testimony that we are Christians that are in good soil, the good soil of the word of God. And so for the first 20 verses of this chapter, Jesus is laying this out and he then switches to the parable of a candle uh, and, and basically says to them, listen, this, the, the candle wasn't bought to, to not be lit and it's not bought to be lit and then hidden. Uh, let your light shine. And so he gives the parable of the sower and the word. And then he says, now let your light shine. So sow the seed. Let your light shine, get it out there, get out there, be sowing that seed, be uh, working in God and, and doing the work that God has given us to do. And then uh, he gives uh, the, a, a few verses on unconscious growth is what it would be kind of considered like. In other words, uh, you, you plant the seed and you water, you nourish, and then you go to sleep and you wake up and all of a sudden your plants grow and you didn't do anything really I mean, if you if you stand there and you watch it, it's like it's never gonna it's never going to sprout, right? But if you go away and you come back, it grows. It does what it's supposed to do. It just follows that course. And uh, ultimately, uh, it doesn't matter if we sow the seed if God doesn't get involved in the process. Right. Uh, and so Jesus again is laying all this out here to his disciples. He's he's been working all day teaching a large crowd, meeting their needs and healing and. And uh, uh, and he's laying this out here at the end of the day. And then as he gives them this, that uh, that the fruit that comes forth is brought forth by that work of God, that God gives the increase. Uh, you know, Paul wa- wa- planted Apollos water, but God gives the increase. Uh, then he gives the parable of the mustard seed. And he says, listen, it doesn't take an overwhelming faith to make great things happen, but you do have to have faith to make anything happen. And it is God honoring your faith Uh, doing the work whenever you have stepped out by faith and sown the seed. And so uh, he lays all that out here. And so when this comes to a conclusion and their day is drawing to an end, then in our text this morning in verse 35, and the same day uh, that he's given all this instruction, uh, when the even was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over to the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude. They took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And so here's this massive crowd. Jesus has been teaching, he's been preaching, he's been healing, he's been doing everything that was necessary to do. He's still been taking the time to invest in his 12, uh, and he is at a point where all of them are physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted and drained. And so the even has come. It's time to go to the other side. And so still, he's got some in smaller vessels following. The multitude's been sent away. And when they had sent away the multitude, and there were other little ships with them, in verse 37, and there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him, and they say say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind, and he said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? And I want to speak this morning on this thought in the midst of the storm. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to glean some things this morning that will help us to grow in our faith and our service to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So when you look at this context here and you understand Jesus has been going through all of this and the state that he's in mentally and emotionally, he's asleep. They're they're losing their minds. Okay, this storm is violent. Uh, This boat is being tossed uh, in all likelihood, it's more of an open fishing vessel so it's not like there's a, uh, a great place to go down into and to feel safe and secure as you're being beat up with the wind and the, uh, and the waves and the, the boat's taking on water. And so they have great fear of the boat capsizing and being lost at, uh, at sea. And so they're, they're going through these things. Their fear is not an unreasonable fear. Their fear and what they sense and what their senses tell them, what their experience tells them is that they are in a very precarious situation and in all likelihood, they are not going to survive the night. And to make matters worse, Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat, you know, and and they're angry. They're upset at least with him and they go, don't you care? How could you be sleeping? How could you not care that we're going to die? I mean, we've been, we, we've given up everything for you. We were with you all day. We listened to everything you had to say. We helped do all, everything you asked us to do. And now we're dying and you don't care. How are you sleeping anyway? I mean, you stop and you think about what they're experiencing here. It's it, really their reaction is not any different than any reasonable person's reaction would be. It's what all of us would have as an expectation, and so they're, they're, they're tired from ministry. Not only that, they're in darkness. Hey, listen, as terrifying as that kind of a storm would be to be in, imagine how much more terrifying it would be in if it was dark outside and you couldn't see anything. And when you can't see what's coming, when you can't see what's going on around you to get the bigger picture, uh, then it's even more fearful. They were in a storm. There are wind, there are waves, the ships filling with water. They're going down, and they were in God's presence, but they didn't realize it. You know, we often find ourselves at this time of the year getting our authorities preparing us or telling us to prepare for the months ahead. Why? Because hurricane season's coming. We've all been through them. We've all survived them. We've all uh, you know, endured some form of loss somewhere along, somewhere along the line because of it. Uh, and so we, we, we're we all aware and accustomed of the types of storms in our area, in our part of the world that we face. If you go up to uh, the north part of our state and into the Midwest, you, uh, you have to deal a lot more with tornadoes than what we have to deal with. If you go out west, you have to deal a lot more with wildfires and things like that, especially when the winds pick up. And, uh, and for months on end, you've got all of these types of natural disasters. So whatever part of the world that you're in, you, you, you come to the realization that there are natural disasters that could take place. And so these are all things that uh, are, are uh, going to come up from one at one time or another. And they are really a picture of what we experience in life physically, emotionally, spiritually, because life is never going to be without its problems. Until the Lord returns, until we come into his presence, we are going to have to endure uh, problems within life. We're going to have to endure some storms. We're going to have to endure things that are are unfair. We're going to have to endure things that are harsh and hurtful. Uh, That's that's life. And Jesus here uh, has just taught them about faith. He is now uh, testing that faith. And by the way, it doesn't matter how much faith I think I have until God tests it, I'll never really know where it stands. Yeah. You know, Peter thought whenever, uh, whenever Jesus told them, you're going to deny me, he said, I'll never deny you. You could go through a lot of different times and places in the Bible and find where, uh, where people demonstrated or verbalized how they thought they were going to respond and find that when the actual moment came, their response was different than what they anticipated. Why? Because it just never is the same when it's real. It's, for one, it's one thing when, it's, uh, when it is uh, hypothetical. It's another thing entirely uh, when it's reality and when it's what we face. And here they are on the boat, going down, in the wind, in the wave, at night, exhausted, drained, fr- afraid, and frustrated with the one that they look at and say, hey, he could change this and he doesn't even care, he's asleep. They're in the presence of God and they are focused on their circumstance rather than on the Savior. And so often we find ourselves in life in the midst of the storms of life, the adversities of life, the hardships of life, the tragedies of life, the health issues of life. And rather than focusing on Jesus, we focus on the circumstance. We focus on that problem. I would say this morning as I look at this and you consider where we are in their development, they are still pretty early in as his disciples. This isn't like the crucifixion is next week and they have three years of experience to look back on. They have some experience to look back on. But if you notice, it's just been a chapter or so since they've been selected and they begin to walk with him. So they have stepped out by faith and they've left their careers and they've left some, some cases their families and they're, uh, they're walking with him and they're seeing him demonstrate his ability and his power. And I think that it's fair to say at this point uh, that they recognize that Jesus is an extraordinary man. And that they would verbalize in all likelihood that he is the Messiah, that he is God on some level. But I think their response at verse number 41 shows that they've not quite made the leap to fully understanding that Jesus truly is God. Because when he stands up and when he speaks and he says, Wind, quiet yourself. Seize calm yourself, and the wind dies and the seas go calm, they are even more terrified that they responded than they were the storm in the first place. And you stop and you put yourself in their position. They feared exceedingly. What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the seas obey him? They're trembling in his presence. And by the way, to a Christian, to tremble at the power and the presence of God is not a bad thing. Amen. We've, grown, we've grown far too comfortable and casual and complacent in our view of God uh, rather than trembling at his power and his majesty and his authority and presence in our life. They tremble before him. They're, they're confident in him. But there's clearly some things that they still have to learn. And so, rather than, again, in the storm, focusing on their relationship with Jesus, they're focused on the problem. Now how much do we? How often do we find ourselves focused on the problem rather than on the solution? We we focus on the circumstances. We focus on the doctor's report. We focus on uh, the uh, the the things going on in the world around us. We're, we focus on all of these things. And we lose sight of our relationship with Jesus. Now, they, they, were not, they had not lost sight of their relationship with Jesus when they were still working. They lost sight of him when they thought the work was done. When they are going to the next place. When it's a time of rest. When it's a time uh, when they can come. And then Jesus comes and he brings the storm so that their faith would be tested. Now, I'm going to say about storms this morning and, the, and metaphorically the storms of life, the tragedies that happen, all of those things. We could all look at those things and say, well, how could God let that happen? May I say to you this morning that we live on a earth that has been cursed by sin and that God is the only thing that keeps it in check. Amen. When you look back in, in the scripture, and I've been reading through Genesis this week and And uh, when when you look at sin unchecked, how quickly they got to Noah and the ark, and how quickly in Abraham's life Sodom and Gomorrah got to the point where God was going to destroy it. When God's not a part of the equation and sin runs its course unchecked, things deteriorate much more rapidly than they're deteriorating. Yeah, I agree that our world around us morally and biblically, scripturally, is deteriorating at a rapid pace. I understand that. Uh, I also understand that it has, uh, uh, biblically, that it has to be the will of God for that to take place at some point if he's going to return. So am I going to fret and despair or am I going to understand that God's in control? Mm-hmm. And when we stop and we get frustrated and angry at God because we don't like the circumstances that he brought into our life, the really the reality is, is that I just simply am not trusting him adequately. Right. And so when we look here this morning, ultimately, they, 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 have their, they have their focus on the problem when they're in the very presence of the one that can solve their problem. Instead of focusing on their relationship, they're focused on the issue, the circumstance. But ultimately, they turn to the Lord for help. So they come to him. They go to the back of the boat. They find him. He's laying on his pillow. He's fast asleep. Now, I'm thinking, how in the world could you be bobbing up and down in the water like that and the wind and the loudness of the wind and be asleep? And the reason is because he had complete peace. He was in complete control. He had no fear that the the boat was going to capsize. He had no fear that things were going to get out of hand. Everything that was happening was according to plan. And he was in the authority and control of it. So ultimately they turn to Jesus. They wake him up. They express their frustration. And I want you to notice that the first thing that Jesus does is he gets up and he deals with the storm. So if you're looking this morning, what does Jesus do? Well, he he doesn't even address them immediately. They wake him up. Don't you care that we perish? And then he stands up and he he rebukes the sea. And so he deals with the storm. Listen, God will deal with the storm. God will deal with our tragedies. God will deal with whatever sin brings into our life. God will deal with it. Two thoughts about God dealing with the storms. Number one, the storm was under his control all along. The storm is always under God's control, but Pastor, that tragedy and our family, listen, my neighbors lost a 27-year-old nephew last week in a car accident. I didn't realize it. I hadn't seen anything on the news about it. I hadn't been really watching much news, and I hadn't been paying that close of attention, and uh, I was in the garage and taking care of some yard work, and uh, one of my neighbors pulled in, and uh, she was unloading something, and, and, and they'd been gone for a few days, and Uh, And so I just, you know, said hello, and then she unloaded about their 27-year-old nephew that had been killed. So just let her know we'd we'd pray for them, and if we could help them in some way. They were coming home from the funeral, and uh, and they were dealing with all the aftermath. Listen, God is in control. It doesn't always feel like God's in control, but he always is. See, when circumstances that are bad, when tragedy strikes and it happens in my life, God, where are you? but the reality is that he's always there. He's in control. But pastor, I don't understand. Well, it may not be for us to understand. It's not always for us to understand, it's always for us to trust. The storm was under his control. The second thing I would say about the storm is that the storm revealed the true condition of their relationship. What do the storms do in our life? Storms reveal the condition of our relationships. When the storm comes into my life, it reveals the condition of my relationship with Jesus. If storms come and I have the attitude of, oh, oh, woe is me. If I have the attitude of God, how could you let this happen? If I have the attitude of being angry at God or frustrated with God, if I have the attitude in the spirit of uh, being embittered against God and wondering why God's forsaken me, that is revealing of the condition of my relationship with him. If... You get around people and they go through the greatest of tragedies. And in the midst of it, they're rejoicing and they're praising the Lord. And, they're, and you look in awe and say, how in the world could they have that spirit? And they have a great relationship with Jesus. Maybe a lot greater than what it appeared on the outside. But God worked in their heart. I'm just saying this morning that Jesus knows how to deal with the storm. That Jesus has the power to deal with the storm. He has the authority to deal with the storm. He has a purpose in the storm. Listen, he is clearly testing their faith and faith is never proven until it's tested. He can teach and he can encourage and he can pour in the word of God. But until our faith is put to the test, it's never proven. It never grows. He deals with the storm. Not only did he deal with the storm, but the second thing that we see is that he then immediately turns and deals with their sin. Now that gets a little uncomfortable. Because when God deals with our sin, that becomes a problem. And when it's God that's dealing with our sin, and not just a prophet that's dealing with our sin, or not just the apostle that's dealing with our sin, or not just our pastor, our Sunday school teacher that's dealing with our sin, then it gets our attention in a lot greater way. He dealt with their sin. Notice verse number 40. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now, if you love somebody and you're close to someone, and you really mess something up, and you know especially uh, you're going to be in a lot of trouble, and you really you want them to yell and to scream, you want your parents to spank you, you want your parents to do something, you 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 want... Big, demonstrative. I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm dealing with this. Whenever they just say a word or two, or say a little of nothing, and you know that you've broken their heart, and that you have that you have caused great hurt, and de- that, that is far more wounding if you love them than their loud vocalization of their anger at you. Notice that Jesus just says to them, where's your faith? How is it that you have no faith? How could, how could you have missed that? And he's dealing with their sin. In Romans chapter 14 and verse, uh, verse number 23, uh, the Bible says, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. But notice the last phrase. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin." Now I realize the context here is he's dealing with standards and meats and things of that nature. But the, but the principle here is transcendent. Whatsoever, whatever is not of faith is sin. So he says to them, Listen, I'm gonna deal with your sin. The, the, it's a problem that you in the midst of this storm are fretting and worrying. It's a problem that you don't have enough faith to trust me. I'm right here. I didn't go anywhere. I didn't send you on the boat ahead of me, at least not this time. I didn't didn't, uh, put you out there on your own. I'm right here. And our problem sometimes is that we lose sight of God and we feel like God is, is not there. We feel like he's abandoned us. And in the midst of our greatest trial and test, what we need to realize is that even though we may not sense his presence, he's there. In our heart and our mind, he may be, listen, in their mind, he was asleep on a pillow. He might as well not even have been there. You don't even care that we're going to die. And they go wake him up. And he comes to them and he just says, after he deals with a storm, he deals with their sin. So what is the problem here? Well, first of all, it's a problem of their lack of faith. A lack of faith is sin. For any of us to lack faith, it's sinful. Why? We are to walk By faith, not by sight. Everything about the Christian life is to walk in faith. It is to walk in a way that pleases God. The lack of faith is sin. The second part of this is this, that fear is the antithesis of faith. The opposite of what we should experience is fear what well, we should experience faith god i'm put my faith in you i trust you i don't understand the storm and the storm is raging and the storm could be deadly but i trust you when i fear what i'm saying to god is god i'm in the midst of this tragedy but i don't and i don't trust you with it I don't trust you with my spirit. I don't trust you with my soul. I don't trust you with my life. I don't trust you uh, to work out what you're trying to get done in my life. I am demonstrating fear rather than faith and it is a sin against God for the Christian to live in fear and to not live in faith. Amen. We walk by faith, not by sight. And God has not given us a spirit of fear but a power and of love and a sound mind. He deals with the sin. Now, when God deals with our sin, here's what we, we're confronted with. I, 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 and, and again, you know, if when you get in trouble, whenever we were growing up, we got in trouble. Who we got in trouble from made the magnitude of whatever our crime or our offense was even greater. Okay, so, you know, I, if I got in trouble for some little thing, if I got in trouble about a big thing and it got dealt with, by someone that was a lower level authority, it didn't seem like quite such a big deal. But if I got in trouble for this little piddly thing from a great authority, it was huge. Now, I remember walking down the hallway one day, it, uh, uh, and about probably about third grade, and, I, and we're not supposed to talk in the hallway, and we're going out to recess, and the vending machines are right there, and, and we're trying to figure out who's going to be brave enough to ask the teacher if we can get something at the vending machine <coughs> before we go out, uh, and, and I whispered across the line, and the next thing, I, all I hear is, shoo- <laughs> I didn't know that Mr. Staples, the principal, was walking down the hallway behind me. That doesn't happen today, but back then it happened. Principal walked down the hallway with a paddle, and if you whispered in the hallway, you got lit up. You just got a little quick reminder, hey, you're not supposed to be talking out here. Got my attention. Was it a big deal? No. But it seemed like a big deal because the principal got me. If my teacher had turned around and said, no talking, it's not a big deal. I'll just be quiet, be a good little cookie, and go on my business. But when the principal got me, it was a big deal. Listen, when Jesus gets a hold of our sin, when Jesus deals with our sin, it's a big deal. And by the way... Ultimately, when we understand things, uh, if the the pastor in the message this morning is the mouthpiece, or if your Sunday school teacher this morning was the mouthpiece, uh, or if whatever other leaders that you have in your life uh, were the mouthpiece that called attention to some sin in your life, it wasn't them that called it, it was God that called it out. It's a big deal. He turns to them and he deals with their sin of a lack of faith. What's their opportunity now? Their opportunity is twofold. They're either going to repel or repent. There's no middle ground. There's no more. uh, There's no wiggling out of this. God has my attention. And I am in tune with the fact that God is paying attention to what I've done or what I've not done. And I'm going to in this moment either repent and allow him to heal me and comfort me. Or I'm going to rebel. In which case if I'm lost he'll judge me. And if I'm saved, he'll chasten me. Either way, God's involved in the equation. And when I find myself lacking faith, what I find myself doing is being called out of my sin. I have to make a decision. Whatever service it is, whatever devotional time in my life it is, wherever it is that I hear it, when God makes me aware of some sin in my life, in that moment, I must either rebel or repent. And so here he deals with their sin. Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly. They were blown away by the reality of his power. He dealt with the sin. And here's the reality about faith and fear. Faith accepts God's outcome. So, Pastor, how does a person get to that point where they just allow God to work and they have joy in the midst of adversity and they have all of these problems? Listen, faith accepts God's outcome. You look at the Apostle Paul and his life, wherever he went, it was a life of faith. You never hear him. The only thing that you could really even look at the Apostle Paul, I think, and say that he complained about was he complained to God about his physical ailment that he sought three times for God to relieve him of. Outside of that, imprisonment, he didn't complain. Shipwreck, he didn't complain. Snake bite, he didn't complain. Cold, hungry, suffering, he didn't complain. Listen, he just accepted that this is the will of God. And our problem as Christians is that oftentimes uh, when, when the plan isn't according to our plan, when we don't understand with our minimalistic view that we have of eternity, when the great God of eternity who has a view of everything for all time looks with perfect and clear understanding and allows something in my life, how can I look at him and say, God, this isn't fair? When God looks and says what we all said to our kids and what our parents said to us, life's not fair. Sin's not fair. Sin is destructive. Sin hates you. Sin will destroy you. You're not supposed to walk according to the flesh and sin. You're supposed to walk according to faith. Do you trust me? Because I'm in control and I see the outcome and this is the will of God for my life in this moment. And when faith accepts God's outcome The acceptance of God's sovereign will in my life gives my heart peace even in the midst of the storm. How the Apostle Paul, shipwrecked, he told all the men that you're not going to be harmed, the ship is going to crash. It's going to be broken up on the rocks. But it's okay, no one's going to lose their life tonight. You're all going to find your way to shore. Sounded like a madman to them then he's sitting around the fire and they're all there, amazed that they're all alive somehow. And a snake jumps out and bites him, And he doesn't even react to it. He just shakes it off in the fire and just goes about his business. Everybody's standing around. Oh, Papa, he's going to die. He didn't die. He must be a god. I mean, they're just all involved in the circumstance and Paul's just doing what he does. Why? Because he just accepted this is the will of God. Our problem is that Whenever things come into our life that we feel are unfair when the storms come and we think this is horrible, is that what we really are saying is that God is that we don't like your will for our lives. And we don't trust you with your will for our lives. We're frustrated by you. We're frustrated that you're back there asleep on your pillow while we're dying. How could you? Faith accepts God's outcome. Faith led the apostle Paul to sing at the prison. It allowed him to cook his meal after being snake bit at the fire. It allowed him to go to the prison, and when the time came, to lower his head down and stick it out so that it could be severed from his body for the glory of God. Why? Because he understood that this is the will of God. And pastor, the will of God so cruel, no sin is cruel. The will of God is merciful and gracious. Gracious. God's grace for you and I allowed Paul's sacrifice. God's grace for you and I allow Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection. God's love and compassion and mercy allows those that walk with Him and have His blessing and have His empowerment and have His grace bestowed upon them to suffer that those that are lost might see the light and come to Christ. Why? Because it's for eternal benefit. It's for God's eternal plan. And so what happens in the storm? He deals with the storm. Then he deals with their sin. And listen, when I find myself fretting in the storm, I can rest assured that he's going to turn around after he deals with the storm and deal with my sin. Will I repel or will will I repent? And then lastly, we see that he demonstrated his sovereignty. He demonstrated his sovereignty. And I would just say a couple of things about his sovereignty this morning. Number one, his sovereign will This is what we need. This, I think, is one of those things that it's easy for us to understand intellectually. It's hard for us to live practically if we're selected by God to suffer. His sovereign will is more important than my life. That loved one that gets sick and dies at an early age. That loved one that you sacrifice to tragedy. That thing that you have to deal with that's hard in life God's will is more important than my comfort God is more interested in using the circumstances within the lives of his people to bring people to Christ and to influence eternity than he is about an individual's comfort for a few years on this earth it's not God being cruel. It's God using you to glorify him. It's God using me to bring glory to his name. He demonstrates his sovereignty. He, he says, listen, I, I, we're in the storm, but you're in the storm with me. We're, we're in the storm, but I'm in control. We're in the storm, and I'm growing your faith. I'm putting what I taught you all day now to the test. Are you going to focus on the problem or are you going to focus on me? Are you going to be derailed because you don't understand or are you just going to trust me? His sovereign will is more important than my life. Number two, his control cannot be questioned. The fact that he is in control cannot be questioned. There is no greater power. There is no greater authority, and only a life that is by faith can accept His will when His will is unpleasant. His will, ultimately, is that we're going to spend eternity in His presence. Amen. His will, ultimately, is that He's going to wipe away all the tears from our eyes. His will, ultimately, is that he's, we won't even, at some point, remember all of the bad things. He'll just set everything new. And he understands that. We understand the idea of that. God understands the reality of that. And he looks and he just says, listen, I'm sovereign. It's my will. And I'm in control. Don't question me. Just love me. Don't question me. Just trust me. Don't question me. I I know that it's hard right now, but I'm right here. I'm with you. And whatever happens, whether it's what you want to happen or not, I'm in control of it. I'm in charge of it. Walk by faith. Listen, in the midst of the storm, our faith is going to be tested. In the midst of the storm, God is going to demonstrate his sovereignty. In the midst of the storm, God is going to, at times, confront and deal with our sin. And God is always going to deal with the storm when the time is appropriate. Storms don't last forever. The sun's going to come up. They're here. They're in the storm. The waves are tossing them. It's dark. He calms everything, and then he comforts them. And then when the sun rises, they see everything new. Listen, one of these days, the sun's going to rise for us. All the things that we don't understand, the sun will rise, and we'll see clearly. And maybe we'll get a glimpse of that on this side of eternity and maybe we won't get a glimpse of that until we get to heaven in his presence. But he is sovereign. See, my lack of faith or trust in God, no matter how you slice it, it's sinful. If I do not trust him, if I do not put faith in him, if my confidence is in man or logic or reason or whatever entity that's out there that causes me to trust anything other than God, then I'm in sin. And I'm not saying that God doesn't use some of the things in the wisdom of this world at times to help us. If you're sick, go to the doctor by all means. If you've got you know, things that need to be cared for, then certainly we ought to be reasonable in those things. But ultimately, my faith is in God. My hope is in Christ Jesus. And an undesirable outcome does not mean that God has forsaken me. It just means that God has chosen me to endure something for His glory. Listen, God is always with us, even if He sacrifices us for His eternal glory. Many were sacrificed through through the centuries. Think about the Christians in the Colosseum. The Christians burned at the stake. You think about those that have been beheaded, even in recent days. You think about... The apostles, think about all of those listed in Hebrews chapter 11, sacrificed for eternity, special, held up high by God in light of eternity. None of us would volunteer, I don't think, for such a death. But if we were given God's grace to come through it for all of eternity, we would be grateful to have been chosen. That doesn't make sense, Pastor. There's a lot of things in a Christian life that don't make sense. There's a lot of things that just have to be taken by faith. Well, it doesn't make sense that God would strike this young child with cancer and take them home. It doesn't make sense that this person would tragically be taken in an accident at such an early age. It doesn't make sense that I lost my job. It doesn't make sense that uh, this person had uh, a stroke or that this person had a heart attack or this person had to deal with this or this person faces financial ruin, uh, no fault of their own, that, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. We just have to realize that Jesus is there. So why would God allow, God? It's, listen, it's not that God causes all these horrible things. Those things are a result of sin. God simply contend, God is there to prevent that sin from running out of control. As bad as it is, as bad as things will get, it's being reined in by a loving God. We, listen, we would not want to live on an earth that did not have God reining sin in. If we did we'd be Noah preaching the only righteous man for 120 years while we built an ark. Amen. We'd be Lot dragging our vexed soul out of a sinful Sodom. The world is not a great place. It's a beautiful place, but it's not the greatest of places for Christians. Amen. But it is the place that God is using us to bring glory to Himself. self. And when we live our lives for his glory, when we realize in the midst of the storm that he's in control and we trust him, then God can do great and mighty things through us and in us.